Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The samurai, they valued honor very much. So when they were defeated on the battlefield, if they were catched and executed, that would be a shame. So they choose to cut their belly, which was a very painful thing to do. And uh, if you cut your belly, you won't die immediately. So you will be in, in, a, in much pain. So that's why they, they have the Kai Shakunin, uh, a person who helped them. And after they cut their belly, this person will cut, cut their neck so that they will uh, immediately die. Hello and welcome to the pod. Today's episode sees Frederick Krins join to talk 17th century Japan, 1600 to be exact, as we see the arrival of the first Brit, a Protestant, William Adams. This conversation is as a result of my having watched the first episode of Shogun, which is a new TV show adaptation of James Clavell's novel of the same name. It stars Cosmo Jarvis, Anna Sewai and Hiroyuki Sanada. Frederick is the historical consultant and a professor of Japanese history, and so we discuss the history of the period and not the plot. And as you heard at the top there, ritual suicide features, seppuku. Links are in the show notes and you can give me a five-star rating. That would be fine and dandy. Coming up on Thursday, I'm talking the attack on Pearl Harbor, the shocking event that brought the US into World War II. And Saturday's episode sees Gordon return for our Great British Commander series with World War I also rans. Plenty more great history to come, but in the meantime, it's 17th century Japan with Frederick Cringe. Frederick, very nice to meet you. Yes, uh, it's a pleasure to meet you. Thank you. I should have said konnichiwa. Yes, indeed. That's, uh, that's Japanese for hello. Indeed. So I was, I, I know we don't have a huge amount of time. So if you don't mind, I, I just thought I'd get cracking really, because okay. I've just watched the first episode and I had a few burning questions really for you, because I know you're a historian of, of this period and we're talking sort of 1600 Japan yeah. and we see an English navigator arrive in Japan and, and and so I guess my first question for you was what was Japan like there's a presence of Portuguese there are some Christians which surprised me Christian converts in the Japanese population already 
and and yeah. so I, and and I am an idiot when it comes to this period of history. So forgive my questions, but oh. <laughs> because on the one hand it seems very hostile to this English arrival, William Adams. But on the other hand, there are Christian converts and Portuguese who seem to be thriving in their relationship with the Japanese. Yes. So Japan in 1600s uh, was a country ruled by uh, warlords. So it, it was, you call it the samurai culture. So uh, a caste of warriors who ruled the country. And, well, they were fighting with each other incessantly. At the time, just before 1600, there was a period of calm because the Taiko, has, as he was called, had unified the country, but he died in 1598. And he left a council of regions to look after his infant son. And those regions were all mighty warlords who were in crosshairs with each other, of course and uh, who tried to to get the, the power for themselves. And uh, half a century before that, the first Jesuits arrived in Japan uh, because Japan was trading with the Portuguese. The Portuguese sent uh, every year ships to Japan with goods mainly from China because the, the Chinese didn't sail at the time to Japan and the Japanese were forbidden to go to China because they were seen as, as pirates at the time. So the Portuguese were like intermediates. They imported a lot of silk to Japan, which were used to make the gorgeous uh, costumes, which you will have seen. So they needed that for the clothing industry. And with the Portuguese came the Jesuits. And they, they had quite a success in their work. They uh, had a lot of Japanese who became Christians at the time, especially in Kyushu. And the Taiko, he uh, was worried about their influence. So he banned the, the priests from Japan, but it was never really enforced because uh, they, they needed the Portuguese for trade. So at the time, 1600, the, the Christians were officially banned, but still they, they could do their job and, and uh, preach uh, in certain places. So they, they didn't have that much power, but still they had enough power to, for example, negotiate between the Portuguese and the Japanese. I so see. That, that was the situation of Japan in, in 1600. And so when William Adams uh, landed in Japan on a Dutch ship, the, the Portuguese, they, they were at war with the Dutch and, and also with the, the English at the time. So they immediately informed the authorities, Japanese authorities, that these were pirates and that they had to be executed. So that's a little bit of historical background of, of the, the period. Yeah, it's really well done, actually, in the show. The Japanese, what was their approach to foreigners generally? Because presumably everyone 
I think may, many people will be aware that there is a, I don't know if it's a phobia, but uh, certainly at, at the very least a wariness of foreigners in Japan in this period. And so I just wondered to ask about that because, you know, the Portuguese obviously managed to get a foothold in, in trade. As we know, yourself a Dutch and, and the Dutch have a strong relationship with the Japanese. But is that something that the Japanese were unhappy with but it was a fact of life and they had nothing there was little they could do about it or or was it something that they embraced a little bit more than perhaps we were previously aware well on the on the one hand they they saw the the westerners as southern barbarians southern because they came from the south so seen from the the japanese cultural standpoint they were dealing with barbarians. But on the other hand, there were quite a few warlords and, and samurai who converted to Christianity and who, who admired some of the, the exotism of, of uh, Christianity. So you have a lot of, of uh, art objects, for example, crosses, music also they introduced in Japan paintings and such things so th there was there was uh, some admiration for the culture but as an exotic culture not not as as the pure japanese culture to say so and the the jesuits were well aware of that so they tried their best to learn japanese culture and behave like the japanese so for example we have the tea ceremony in japan which was very much valued among the Japanese. So the Jesuits, they, they try to incorporate the tea ceremony. When uh, an, a distinguished guest came to their church, they would entertain them uh, with tea, for example. Or you have uh, poetry. Poetry was, was very important for the Japanese. And I've advised uh, the, the producers and, and Justin uh, to have poetry in the series. And you will see a lot of poetry going on because poetry for the, the Japanese uh, samurai was was a symbol of, of their erudity, of, of culture. So uh, a good samurai had to be good at poetry. So the Jesuits, they also learned Japanese poetry because it was necessary to to impress the Japanese to have that level of culture. Well, there's a poem in the first episode, I think. So that's good to see that they, yeah, they they listen to you. Yes, yes, yes. Because uh, I've they they made the poems. It say I've made the poems for them. Ah, oh. following the conventions of of that time, because Japan had. Uh, a rich tradition of lenga, so linked first poetry, uh, which had a lot of conventions. And I, I really wanted to have such poems in the show. So I studied hundreds of them of the time to be able to compose some of them to be used in the show. And and I'm really glad that they, that they took them. So... <laughs> that is very interesting to me because you have a Dutchman living in Japan writing Japanese poems <laughs> in an American production featuring <laughs> British actors and a jazz actor saying your words. That's wonderful. <laughs> yes, yes. So you can uh, uh, say it like that, yes. 
Yeah. The great Hiroki Sanada plays Yoshi Toranaga, who I think is based on a, and I, I'm sure I'm butchering the pronunciation, but um, he, I think he's based on Tokugawa Iyasu. Yes. And, yeah. and he's a key figure, isn't he? Uh, but I just wanted to ask, he, he's one of the five warlords, but... He's not quite graduated to Shogun yet, because I was just interested in the hierarchy. You have Shogun and then there's Samurai. It would just be good to understand exactly what the roles were. Yes, yeah, so Iyasu was the, the most powerful warlord at the time. And so he, he was the, the leader, to say, of the, the Council of Regents. So he, he had the most power, but... In the show, he has a little bit less power, to say so. And uh, the other regions, which were in, in reality smaller lords, are in the show much powerful, much more powerful lords. So that, that we really have a council of five regions, which are quite equivalent in, in power, to say so. So that's quite a, a difference with, with the history. Because in, in the history, the other regions, they managed to have a large army to fight against Tokugawa Iyasu. But still, there was quite a, a difference in, in size of their holdings and so on. So that we changed so that it would be much more thrilling for, for Toranaga, which is modeled on this uh, Iyasu, so that... Uh, Toranaga would have much more obstacles. And he is not yet Shogun. I don't know if he will become Shogun in this uh, season. Uh, we will see. <laughs> and Shogun is sort of the warlord for the whole of Japan. Is that right? Yes. Yes. So uh, Shogun can be seen as the military leader of Japan, the, the top to say so. It's it's quite complicated, but let's say that uh, from the Kamakura period, so from the 12th century, end of the 12th century on, uh, Shogun was seen as a military leader. If you, you get that title, which was bestowed uh, by the emperor, which had only power in name, not, not real power at the time, then you could say that you you could uh, unify the country and, and have all the the warlords had to had to be subordinate to this leader. So that was really something which one could aspire to, but only people from a certain lineage. And Toranaga, like Iyasa, has that lineage. So he he is a candidate that post. I was very interested because we see this quite frequently, certainly in the first episode, is there is this, um, maybe culture is too strong a word, but there is this practice of suicide. Why is it so prevalent in the culture at the time in Japan? Because he, we saw it even in the Second World War with Japanese yeah. soldiers viewing people who surrendered as, as in, somehow inferior. Well, why this custom developed that's that's something we we don't know we we know that 
the samurai, they valued honor very much. So uh, when they were defeated on the battlefield, if they were catched and executed, that would be a shame. So they choose to cut their belly, which was a very painful thing to do. And uh, if you cut your belly, you won't die immediately. So you will be in, in, a, in much pain. So that's why they, they have the Kai Shakunin, uh, a person who helped them. And after they cut their belly, this person will cut off, cut, cut their neck so that they will uh, immediately die at that point. But why they did it? Because it was such a painful thing to do. So uh, with by doing that, they showed their courage. And by showing their courage, they would be remembered afterwards as, as having had a very honorable death. And this is something the, the samurai really uh, wanted to do. Uh, they wanted to, to have their name remembered generations after they died. That, that was one thing. So that was one aspect of, of uh, committing suicide in that way. And in the beginning, people, samurai did this, did that. And gradually it became a custom to do it. So if you were a samurai and you were defeated, if you didn't commit suicide, it would be a shame. So it became it became a sort of, of codes of, of conduct which they had to adhere to. So that that's a little bit the, the, the history behind that. And afterwards, at the end of the Sengoku period, it, it also became a punishment for for samurai. So if they did something wrong, the Lord would order them to to commit seppuku. But it, 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 you don't have to assume that it, it was a dishonorable thing to do. It was an honorable death. So by doing this seppuku, they uh, reestablished their, their honor, to say so. And people who, who did really serious crimes, they wouldn't be allowed to uh, commit seppuku. They would be executed. So that, that was... The, the difference between uh, the right to do it and the right not to do it, to say so. And I suppose with Christianity arriving, then that's a great sin in Christianity. Indeed. So that will be one of the themes of, of the show. So people who are Christian, but who come in a situation when they have to uh, commit suicide. So how, how will they cope? <laughs> yeah, it's the clash of cultures was just so interesting to me in the first series. But I guess best depicted with the language difficulty, where you have the Englishman, obviously English speaking, Portuguese, and I mean everyone's translating amongst each other to try and work out what they're all saying. I mean that that must have been a frequent challenge for those foreigners in Japan. Yes, yes, and. Many foreigners really learn the language good. So you have people like William Adams, for example, who was known to, to speak Japanese fluently, but he, he couldn't really write it. So 
not many foreigners, I think, who could write Japanese, but many who could speak uh, Jesuits who live long in the country, who studied the language, for example, were there. And even Dutch people who resided for a long time in Japan, they, they also spoke fluently Japanese. But what we have done in the show, which I, I really wanted them to do, was to use medieval Japanese. So it's not the Japanese you will hear today. And, well, it's it's not 100% medieval Japanese, because if, if we did that, then a modern Japanese public couldn't understand. But we we have put in a lot of, of grammatical aspects of the, of the language at the time, ways uh, in which they spoke. So uh, I'm, I'm really satisfied that the, the actors were ready to, to use that language. On the other hand, I didn't dare to ask the producers to have the Westerners speaking Portuguese. So that's has become English. I think that that would be too much for them, but but as a whole, it's it, it worked out quite well. Yeah, I think so. It's interesting you say that. That, that does lend authenticity to the the show. I mm -hmm. think. I guess that leads me to a question: Do you think we get it right? As in, we in the West, I say we, basically Hollywood, or you know, now the the streamers and creating these incredible shows. But in their depictions of Japan, obviously this version of Shogun, there was one in the 80s, which many may be familiar with. There are, of course, there's the Tom Cruise film. And, you know, we're very influenced by Japanese cinema, I know. But I, I wondered if we get the depictions right. Well, I think the Tom Cruise film was not bad. It's, it's a totally different period. It's the end of the Edo period, so... 250 years after our show. And one thing I've, I've done in, in advising uh, the people of, of Shogun was we, we have to get the record straight and we have to use everything like, like it was in the Sengoku period in 1600. So a lot of, of Japanese period uh, dramas they they look at the Sengoku period through the eyes of the Edo period because that's that's closer to their period. But a lot of things have changed in the Edo period. And they they really did a, a very good job to reconstruct everything as it was in the Sengoku period. I've spent hours and hours with them on the sets, on the costumes but also on, on how samurai at the time, how would they react, how would they react in certain situations? What would they do? The funny thing is in the, the trailer, you see a lot of fighting scenes, but most of the show is, is not about fighting. There's a lot of cultural elements in it. We have no theater, we have a tea ceremony, we have uh, several occasions when they compose poetry and I must say I have given them hundreds of details of the time and Justin and his team he, he has incorporated all those details in the story so it, it really is a, a, a voyage into 
that that period you 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 could show the the show as as an introduction to Sengoku period culture to say so and as a historian that's that's really a, a great satisfaction that I I got from that encouraging to hear that there's a scene when I laughed out loud actually quite early on when <laughs> I think all the English sailors are in their sort of dungeon or their their um, hole in the ground. And the Japanese, the local fief appears and they're both insulting each other and they're both calling <laughs> each other savages and barbarians. And it's just wonderful. You know, it just captured that kind of, I guess, that moment where two cultures collide, both thinking yeah. they're superior to the other. Yes, yes, that's that's really what happened at that time too so so you have the the westerners who who think that they come from a superior culture and, and especially the the ideology the the christianity that they have while the japanese see these these people as southern barbarians coming to to their shores and i i have to say that the jesuits i, I think i i pointed out before already that they looked with admiration to Japanese culture so but uh, ordinary uh, sailors they, they will see Japan as, as completely different from their own culture and, and see it more as savages than than something else but then the moment uh, one sees this amazing recreation of Osaka when the ship arrives oh, yes, in yes. If you were one of those sailors who had that sentiment, those feelings would fall away on sighting Osaka. That's another aspect which I, I, I you really have to put that into the show. Osaka was a world town at the time. And, and uh, the, the castle of Osaka was, was as big as, as a town in England, to say so. So... Uh, when when a foreigner arrives in, in Osaka, he must be uh, completely in awe in awe to to what he sees. It's it's a very rich culture which uh, envelops before his eyes. So and and that they they have done really great, and a lot of work has been done to reco reconstruct the city as it was at that time. So. Uh, also very great and and i i really love that scene too <laughs> well how was osaka compared to say what was the other sort of rival cities in japan at the time uh well you have uh, kyoto the capital which was quite close to osaka it was also a very large city because the the emperor had its seat in in uh, kyoto and then you have had the taiko uh, Hideyoshi, who had his castle in Osaka, and he really built Osaka from scratch. So he he, he was the first to to make a, a completely planned city. So all the the streets you probably seen were uh, straight, and the canals were straight, and uh, he. He uh, brought all those all those people in in the town from all parts of Japan to create a, a colossal new town there. So with everything in it, uh, quarters for 
for the warlords to build their residences, uh, quarters for the merchants, uh, a harbor. So everything was there. So Frederick, you've been in Japan, I think, more than 20 years, probably longer. I've been in Japan for 35 years. Now. 35 years? Yes, yes. Wow. So uh, do you feel like you are Japanese? Uh, well, I, I have Japanese nationality. And uh, I, I must say I, I studied Japanese history. I'm a professor in uh, Japanese history. And I, I worked most part of my life in Japanese, in Japanese circumstances. If you do uh, history in Japan, you, you don't have any connection with the rest to say so because they, they are totally focused on their own history. And with Shogun, three years ago, they asked me to join and to supervise all the historical aspects. So that, that was the first time that I, I worked in English <laughs> and with, with uh, well, with foreigners to say so from a Japanese standpoint. And it, it was really amazing experience because everything I thought was natural for me, I had to explain from, from the beginning, from nil to say so. What what is a samurai? What, what is shogun? What is how was the the city of Osaka built and so on? So it it, it was really amazing experience and my English has become much better than in the beginning. In the beginning, I was thinking, how do you say that in English and that? And well, it's, it's very good your English. Thank you very much. So it's three years of working with uh, the team of shogun and uh, also. It inspired me to write a book on uh, William Adams, on, on the, the background of the Shogun, which will be out in May this year. So, fantastic, uh, fantastic. And, and what about, I, I think we're running, I've got like one minute oh, left, I think I'm being told, okay. but I was very interested in your um, the Japanese cast in particular. How were they, did you speak with them about the, the medieval culture? Uh, yes, yes, they, they were, how to say they they were fantastic in the way that they acted, for example, and, and in the way they spoke. They they uh, I think they they really got into their characters in a Sengoku mind. And you have a kind of, of Japanese period dramas which which are much more Edo. Uh, specific base, so they are different than than the Sengoku period, and uh, I thought that they they really assimilated very well to a uh, Sengoku uh, state of mind, to say so. So I'm, I'm well, I I'm really amazed at at their acting, and uh, but everyone was was perfect, and also uh, Cosmo Jarvis was also perfect because he 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 had to uh, act in a in a different way than uh, Chamberlain did before. He he couldn't just uh, try to to do the same thing. So he he really did a, a very good job to make a a new character to say so, and. Uh, 
And I think closer to the book, to, to Clavel's book than, than Chamberlain, because the show in, in 80, in 1980, was much more centered on a Western guy discovering an exotic new culture, to say so. Well, now we have, like you said, a clash of cultures. So, yeah. so both sides really did did very well. I'm uh, I'm very satisfied with with what they they accomplished. Good stuff. Well, Frederick, this has been uh, really really fantastic to speak to you. Thank you very much for your time. And um, yeah, I wish you all the best for the. I hope you get to a premiere and you're you're treated like royalty because <laughs> it's a great show. Thank you very much. That's a, a pleasure. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening. Coming up, it's the attack on Pearl Harbor. And then on Saturday, Gordon returns talking about great British commanders from World War One, the also-rans. But until then, thank you and good night.